our subject this morning on this first Sabbath day of a new year. Indeed, it's the first day of the new year. Our subject is going on with God. And I would like to think that as we come to God's house, we are resolved in our hearts on this first day of the year to go through with God, to go on with God, not go backward, but onward and upward with the Lord. I don't know how many of you know the old song, which was a war song, sung during the war by Harry Lauder. Maybe some of you have heard the name. Maybe you've heard him sing. I don't know, he's a Scotchman, but he sang this. Keep right on to the end of the road. Keep right on to the end. Though the way be long, let your heart be strong. Keep right on to the end. Though you're tired and weary, still journey on till you come to your happy abode where all the gains you've been striving for will be there at the end of the road. I know it's just an ordinary song, but there's a moral to it. And as we think of our title this morning, Going On With God, surely it is appropriate as we could keep on the right road with the Lord. The words of our text are well known, and they're taken from Paul's first epistle, written during his last imprisonment in Rome, where he awaited martyrdom. He says to Timothy, Timothy, I am a dying man. That's what he says in chapter 4. He says, my day is finished. And then he goes on to say, now it is time for you to step forward. So by the way, that's what he's saying. It is time for you to be in the front line and to take up the torch of the cause of Christ in these days. The passing of the older generation always emphasizes the church's need for faithful young men and young women to rise up and to carry on the work of God into the next generation. And as time goes by, and at the beginning of a new year is a good time to remind ourselves of the passing of time. And so we pray that God will raise up a new generation who will faithfully take their stand for God and go through with him and serve him with all their hearts. The fact that we live in perilous times, and we do, perilous times of rampant apostasy shows the need for new stalwarts to take their stand in this day. In chapter 3, verse 1, we read this. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Those perilous times have come. They are upon us right now. They are no longer in the future. 
They're here. Men are lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud and blasphemers, disobedient unto parents, unthankful, without natural affection, and so on. It goes down the list in that particular verse. In perilous times then, apostasy runs riot in the church and in the country. Paul warned the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto feebles. Such apostasy can be met only by those who are faithfully following the Lord Jesus Christ and faithfully following the teachings of his word, those who are going on with God. That's the need today. That's the need of the hour, and that's the need of the future as well. Each generation faces a new onslaught from a new crop of apostates. And each generation therefore needs a new generation of men and women to fight today's battles. We cannot fight today's battles in the strength of men who fought well in their own day but are now in the glory. We can celebrate their memory and make use of their labors, but our need is for new men of the old school men who will guard the gospel, men on fire for God, men who know God personally and who have the power of the Holy Ghost in their lives. We need people who do not fear the face of man, young people who will go across the world with the gospel and endure hardship as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. We need young people who have died to the world's claims and attractions and who are ready and willing to serve their Savior, whatever the cost. May God be pleased to raise up a new generation of such stalwarts in this our day and generation. But despite this predicament that Paul was in, at the time he wrote these words, he was in prison and awaiting execution. The apostle is not concerned for himself, but desires to encourage the ongoing witness of the church. Hence his words to Timothy in verse 8 of this chapter, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. This exhortation is backed by example. As Paul declares in our text, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. I would like us to consider the cause which he espoused. Here in our text, in verse 12, he says, For which cause I suffer 
these things. The previous two verses, 10 and 11, make it abundantly clear that the cause is the gospel of Jesus Christ. For unto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. This is the message which brings Christ's saving grace to both Jews and Gentiles. There may be many causes which are regarded as worthy for which sacrifices are to be made, but there can be no nobler cause than that of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, for this cause I suffer these things. I wonder, will we be prepared this year as we go through with God to be prepared to suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ? Whatever that may bring upon us, that we might bring glory to his name. All Paul's sufferings were in the interests of that one noble cause, as he declares elsewhere in his epistles, particularly in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 17, where he states, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Paul had a personal experience of Jesus Christ, and Paul preached out of that experience. Thank God, many of God's dear servants over the years have followed in that apostolic succession in suffering for the cause of the gospel. And not least, even in our own nation, many have been willing to lay down their lives for Jesus Christ. I think of Hugh Latimer, who declared at his trial in 1555 that he had been imprisoned along with Cranmer, with Ridley, with Bradford for Christ's gospel preaching and because he would not go amassing. What a cause he suffered for. The truth of God laying down his life for the cause of Christ. Many today still suffer for this cause. They suffer in other lands throughout the world. Many of God's dear people are imprisoned. They're tortured. They they are laying down their lives because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And while we enjoy gospel liberty in our nation, well, to a certain degree we do, although the enemy of the gospel is tightening up on that and some are being arrested and some are being punished and fined and even going to prison for preaching the gospel in the open air. What a tragedy is overtaking our beloved nation. We think of various Incidents which occurred even recently where the Crown Prosecution Service have made it known that certain parts of the Bible ought not to be spoken in public. And we think of the LGBT plus community 
campaigning to ha ban the preaching of the Word of God, to ban parts of the Scripture from being preached on, and how we need to take our stand and to go through with God and to keep on going on with God and not to allow the enemy to take away the gospel that we have preached in the past. May we have the grace, the strength, and the energy and the filling of God the Holy Spirit to stand up against the encroachments of the devil and to resist every enemy that would take away our liberty. Whatever it may come, may we, like the Apostle Paul, be set for the defense of the gospel. The church at Philippi, unlike some of the other New Testament churches, stood fully and without apology in support of Paul's ministry. Its commitment to him and its commitment to the gospel he preached never wavered. It stood resolutely with him in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, even when he suffered imprisonment and when it was dangerous to be closely associated with him. No doubt Philippi was a great church. And we pray God to give us churches like the church at Philippi even in these days. Secondly then, Let's think for a moment of the courage he exhibited. Not just the cause he espoused, but the courage he exhibited. He says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. This is not the first time Paul used these words. We find them in Romans 1 and verse 16, where he writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. At that time he was at the height of his missionary activity in Corinth, where his gospel preaching met with much blessing, as we read in Acts chapter 18. The power of the gospel was evident as it transformed the lives of men and women in that wicked and sinful city of Corinth. Many were saved. There was revival there. And although the church wasn't perfect, yet many were delivered from darkness and brought to the light, from serving Satan to serving Christ. And oh, the transforming grace of God was witnessed in the lives of so many. Here, as he writes this letter to Timothy, there are no crowds gathered around him, like there, like there was at Corinth. One of the great things about writing this letter was that Paul was alone, and yet he was not ashamed. He was in prison, and yet he was not ashamed. He was going to face death, and yet he was not ashamed. No man stood with him, he tells us in verse 11, only Luke was with him. And then in verse 16, he says, no man stood with me. 
And yet this did not lessen Paul's courage as he stood for the gospel. He was not ashamed when his message was being blessed and still not ashamed when the only response to that message is hostility. Paul is not ashamed in either case. And on the eve of his martyrdom, he could say that he had not been ashamed at the beginning of his ministry, and now he is not ashamed at the end of his ministry. And all the way through, we see a man faithful to Jesus Christ, faithful to the gospel, faithful to his calling in the Lord, and a man who's now ready to lay down his life for the gospel. This same courage has been displayed by many martyrs down through the years. It was displayed by our founding fathers of this denomination as they boldly witnessed for the truth those 70 years ago when they took a bold stand against compromising ecumenical churches of their day. May we continue that stand in our day and be faithful and courageous as the apostle and our forefathers. Thirdly, let us think of the conviction which he expressed. He says, For I know whom I have believed. His courage stemmed from a strong faith which could withstand all opposition. Note where that faith rested, not in some empty form of religion, in some religious ritual, but in a living person, in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He does not say, I know what I have believed. There's an awful lot of things people believe, and they make an awful ado about what they believe. But Paul says, I know whom I have believed. Sound doctrine is important, as the following verses point out, hold fast the form of sound doctrine or sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou. Knowledge of sound doctrine is important. It's important in the day in which we live. But Without a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, it loses its value. 
Christ's high priestly prayer for his disciples was that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. There are people today who know the doctrine, but they don't know Jesus Christ. And that's sad. I know people in the free church who know the doctrine, but they don't know Jesus Christ. I know a man who attended the church for 37 years, and he knew the word, he knew the scriptures, but he wasn't saved. But thank God before he died, he came into that personal knowledge of Jesus Christ as his Savior. Paul knew whom he believed. He knew Christ. He knew the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ was his all and in all. He lived for Christ. He preached Christ. He died for Christ. Christ meant all to him. I wonder today, does Christ mean everything to you? And then, even as an experienced pioneer and missionary and Christian, Paul could say near the end of the journey and pray that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. So right on through to the end, he was praying that he might increase in knowing Christ, in the knowledge of Christ. That's what we want to do this year. From this day onward, making a resolution in our heart, making a definite decision that we want to know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And then, as regards Paul, we note the confidence he experienced. He says, For I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The words, that which I have committed, mean literally something which is deposited with someone for safekeeping. You will know, as I do, that over the years, people feared that their deposits, their monetary deposits, in foreign banks were insecure. And many people suffered financial losses. Our Lord Jesus reminds us in the Sermon on the Mount, that treasure laid up on earth is always insecure. Lay not up treasure on earth, he says, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Paul had learned the great lesson. He had learned the lesson that earthly treasures pass away and that only those things which are done for Christ 
will last forever. The cause for which the cause which he espoused was the gospel. The courage which he displayed, the conviction which he expressed, the confidence which he experienced. And in closing, let me say, the compensation which he enjoyed. Oh, what compensation. What reward Paul received. The rewards the Lord gives to his faithful people are glorious. They're magnificent. Paul refers to these in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. There is something very special about the testimony from someone at the edge of the grave, isn't there? That's where Paul is here as he speaks these words. People can express all sorts of beliefs while they think they have a long time to live. When you're facing death, however, it is a very different thing. If your religion is not good enough to die by, then I say it's not good enough to live by. Paul was facing a violent death at the hands of the cruel emperor Nero, knowing that it could be at any moment, and yet he rejoiced that he was ready to die. He was looking forward to heaven. How blessed to be able to finish the course with joy. What an encouragement this was to Timothy and to all others who would read these words and to every one of us still today, an encouragement to go on with God and to remain faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just think of it. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 7, that he has no fear. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He had no fear of death. He had no fear of judgment. <coughs> he had no fear of eternity. And then he had no shame. He says, I'm not ashamed. No fear, no shame. It is as if he was saying, I'm not ashamed because my sins are under the blood. My guilt is purged away. I am justified freely by the grace of God. I believe the gospel to the saving of my soul, and I've committed my life to Christ. And he would add to that, he would say, I have not done everything perfectly, but I am covered 
by the blood of the atonement. And I'm robed in the garment of Christ's righteousness. And I'm not ashamed. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to stand before God and to give an account. And then he says, I have no doubts, no fear, no shame, no doubts. I know whom I have believed. He had no doubt about the salvation of his soul. He knew in whom he believed in. He had no doubt about his work. He was laying that work down. His life's work was being laid down and was about to present it to the Lord. He never claimed to be perfect in his work, but he had no doubt that he had made the right choice in life. Have you made the right choice? He had no doubt that he had, made, he had done the right thing with his life. Are you doing the right thing with your life? He had no doubt that he lived for the right cause. Are you living for the right cause? He had no doubt that he had served the right master. Are you serving the right master today as we begin this year? And also Paul had no doubt about the gospel. He says he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. Having earlier exhorted Timothy to guard the gospel and to preach the gospel, he is now saying that having committed himself and the gospel to God, that God who has kept him and the gospel for so long will guard and keep that gospel and will stand up for his own cause and will defend his own son, and will publish his own truth, and will give success to his own servants, so that the gospel of Jesus Christ will not be preached in vain. Oh, may we see that coming true this year as we start it today, but, and keep looking on to Christ, and going on to know the Lord. Paul also testified that he has no doubt about eternity. He mentions that day. That day will hold no surprises for Paul. The Lord who saved him would keep him and bring him safely home to heaven. He's facing death. And Paul adds one final strand to his testimony. And he says, he is no dread and he's not lonely. Chapter 4 and verses 16 and 17. At my first answer, no man stood with me. But all men forsook me, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened with me. And in spite of his circumstances, he is no dread. He has no loneliness. The word of God says in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 10, and this is a word to the unsaved, to the ungodly. Listen to it. It's very solemn. Woe to him that is alone when he falleth. 
Woe to the man who is alone when he comes to die. Without God, without Christ, alone, perish in the darkness for all eternity. You see, death is the loneliest valley in the world. Humanly speaking, we must all die alone. Humanly speaking, I say. Earth's nearest and dearest friends must leave us to face the last enemy alone. Paul's testimony, however, is the happy assurance of every believer. We may honestly and confidently say, I am not alone. Friends may not be able to come with us into the valley of the shadow of death, but King David's shepherd is my shepherd. Is he your shepherd? The Lord Jesus, is he your shepherd? The Lord's my shepherd? And as the Psalm 23 assures us, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The Lord will not ask me to cross Jordan alone. Such was Paul's testimony. Let us each one ask ourselves, is it my testimony? Thank God Paul knew Christ. And when he came to the end of life's journey, having lived faithfully for the Master's cause, he's laying down his life for Christ. And God is with him. And he's shepherdizing him through the river of death and bringing him up onto the other side into the very presence of the Almighty to be with him forever and forever. What a hope and what a joy and what a testimony. And I trust that's all yours as we begin this new year. And if not, why don't you start for heaven today? What a better time. What an opportunity. The Lord is good. The Lord is gracious. God is calling. And he's calling you. Oh, hear his voice. And come to him. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray thy blessing to be upon the preaching of thy word. And we ask thee to write it upon all our hearts and bring the unsaved to Christ. Encourage thy people to keep going on with God and grant that this year we will experience exploits in thy kingdom. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 557. Number 557. We never need be vanquished. We never need give in. Though waging war with Satan, 
and compassed round by sin. Temptations will beset us, allurements of the seal, but in the name of Jesus we shall and must prevail. Now we're going to stand as we sing it, and uh, as we sing, I will make my way to the door. As you know, we have the Lord's table. As our brother rightly said, the Lord's, it's the Lord's table for the Lord's people. But if you can't stay, you must go for some reason, then you'll have the opportunity as we sing the hymn. And I'll be there to greet you as you leave.